Hi there, my name is Jackson Tolbert. Welcome to Seeking a Green South, the podcast imagining a sustainable future for the Southern United States by highlighting the work of environmental and climate leaders in the region. As I join them in conversation, I hope you will join me in listening as together we seek a green South. In this episode, I talk with my friend Ankur Shaw, a geospatial data scientist at Climate Engine and the director of operations at Mycelium, a nonprofit in Huntsville, Alabama that is accelerating the transition to a circular economy. He's an environmental educator, video creator, and has an excellent YouTube channel, which you can find linked in the episode description. We discuss his background and the amazing local work he's doing in the South before delving into how we, you, me, and everyone in our region can catalyze local climate action. Let's jump now to that conversation. Hey, Anger, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well. Thank you. And thank you for coming on the first episode of Seeking a Green South. I really appreciate your presence here. And I appreciate being here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. So the reason why I wanted to have you specifically on the first episode of this podcast is, number one, I know you. We're both based in the South. You're an excellent environmental educator, and you're already doing really great work in the region. A lot of your work emphasizes local action, and I think that will be helpful to listeners new to the environmental space, especially if they live in the South too. And I think it'll help contextualize where they can get started. But before we get to that, can you talk more about your background and what got you into this fight in the first place? Yeah, thank you, Jackson, for the kind words. So I grew up in India in the city of Mumbai for 10 years of my life, and that was from the age of 7 to 17. And day to day, my experiences were facing air pollution, water pollution, serious plastic pollution. For instance, I lived near a river that about 40 to 50 years ago was had cr- crystal clear running water. But now because of dumping sewage, raw sewage, uh, plastic pollution, and having the lack of waste management, that river is completely dead, devoid of life. Mm. Um, you can walk by it and smell methane because of the raw sewage decomposing. And it's littered with plastic. And while traveling to school in rickshaws, which are open three-wheelers, three-wheel vehicles, I used to breathe in a lot of air pollution during the traffic of Mumbai day-to-day for hours. So all of these day-to-day experiences of facing pollution firsthand made me question, how can we live in a way that is that does not harm the environment? Are we as a species failed to just achieve unsustainability or can we work towards something that takes care of the planet as well as people? So these questions appeared and I wanted to follow a path to pursue environmental sustainability, whether through science or through business or through some framework that I can follow. And um, my passion for sustainability and passion for healing our planet started in Mumbai. And Mm. thanks to those experiences, I'm working towards that goal now. That is amazing. Thank you for sharing. Can you tell us more about the work that you're doing now and some of the main roles you're playing? Yeah, I have three main efforts aligned with climate action at the moment. The first and most important one is that I'm a geospatial data scientist for a company, a startup called Climate Engine. And our main mission is to align the economy with climate adaptation and mitigation. And we work with the private sector and players in the financial sector to enable and show them the risk of climate change to their assets. The way we're doing that is using creating 
products off of satellite data. For example, we're creating risk forecasts for wildfires, for floods, mm. droughts, all of these physical hazards that are threats posed by climate change. There are three main efforts I'm involved in. One is my job at Climate Engine. The second one is uh, the director of operations at a nonprofit called Mycelium. And our mission is to accelerate the circular economy using open source solutions on a local level. So Mycelium is based out of Huntsville, Alabama, and we are named after nature's biological internet, which is Mycelium. These are thread-like structures that connect trees in forests underneath the soil. But what Mycelium does is it exchanges nutrients, exchanges resources. And we're modeling our nonprofit off of Mycelium in the sense that we want to create open source local solutions, which are designed to enable a circular economy. Currently, we live in an economy that is linear. So that's a linear economy from extraction to waste. But a circular economy, ideally, will be the product is designed in a way that it can be repurposed or reused or the resources of that same product can make a new product. So perfect 100% recycling is an example of a circular economy. So that's what we're trying to enable. And our work at Mycelium is divided into three categories. The first category is waste management, where we try to create um, systems that will shred plastics, mainly plastic PET bottles currently. Okay. And that shredded plastic is then melted and extruded into 3D printed filament. So you can convert your waste plastic, wasted plastic bottles into 3D filament from which you can print something new like a mobile phone cover or a to- toy that you can shred again and make right. something new out of. So we're trying to do that um, under the waste management theme. But what we want to do is fundamentally change the game by creating open source models, meaning anyone anywhere in the world can use these designs and do it for free. We are not going to patent anything. And that's the that's the idea of mycelium. Um, nature does not patent anything, so we're trying to follow that model. Ooh, nature by creating does not patent. That is a by creating open source. <laughs> and the last but not least, the theme that we work under is uh, food sustainability, circular food economies. Mm. So what we're trying to do in Huntsville, Alabama, is create raised bed gardens that are automated using farm bots. That's an open source company creating robots that can automate raised bed gardening on a small scale. So we're introducing these automated raised beds into schools uh, locally in Madison County in which Huntsville is based. And with the goal of combining food sustainability with STEM education. So students will learn robotics, but for the purpose of growing food sustainably sustainably and locally. Mm. And um, our hope and what we push for is that the students then get inspired and want to grow their food in their backyard or convince their parents to do so. Whether FarmBot is there or not doesn't matter. The point is to incentivize and encourage local food production for local food resilience. So that's how we're promoting um, these concepts of a circular economy. That's awesome, man. Do you think people recognize that economic aspect in your experience? Or, or is the general public aware I think most people still think that in order to have economic prosperity, there has to be destruction of the environment locally or globally. But many studies show that is not the case. In fact, places where the environment is healthy, people are healthier, happier. We can create 
ways of living which do not have to harm the environment. It is unsustainable consumption, consumerism, and uh, the global demand of resources, excess resources, that is the problem. There is a really great picture that shows a progress bar. The upper half of the progress bar shows money, and the latter half of the same progress bar shows trees being the environment. So Mm -hmm. as prosperity is increasing, the amount of trees is decreasing. And that's what we call development right now. But wow, that does not need to be the case. There are many examples of localizing economies, um, even in indigenous cultures. All of these different peoples who have lived for centuries, way beyond uh, the Industrial Revolution, have had and still are living in cultures that consider nature as sacred, that value and revere nature. So we need to learn from these ancient systems of living and uh, drown the arrogance of modern society and uh, which think of them as primitive because they're not. Right. They're living in a way that's way more sustainable uh, for the long-term uh, right. survival of humans. Right, absolutely. They have circular economies. Uh, absolutely. They, they have circular economies and that's another thing I wanted to emphasize. If you look at the way nature works, Everything in nature is cyclical and circular. If you look at a forest, the leaves of the trees fall down into the soil. There are beings, bacteria, ants, other insects, which break down the leaves and the nutrients are then returned to the soil. Mm-hmm. And these same nutrients then get absorbed by the trees from which the leaves fell. Right. Nothing in nature is wasteful. Nothing. And so how can we humans, who are, again, we are part of nature, we are nature too, but we've created systems that are so far removed from the way natural processes work that we're polluting ourselves using the systems we've built in a linear economy. Mm-hmm. So a circular economy has to be inspired by the way nature works. It is a form of what's called biomimicry, learning from nature. Yeah, Because nature has wisdom. Nature has evolved for billions of years much more than we humans have. So human intelligence is very limited compared to the intelligence of other species and other other aspects of nature which have evolved for billions of years. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And uh, I, I'm going to, and I hope the listeners do as well, incorporate the term circular economy into my vocabulary because it's excellent. I greatly admire what you're doing with schools and education. And along the same lines, you also have a really resource-rich YouTube channel that everyone listening should subscribe to. Can you talk more about how that channel has been for you as a platform? Yeah, thanks a lot for asking that. Um, So yeah, that's my third main effort, I would say, on climate action is the YouTube channel. It started in 2019. I was a teacher assistant for a course on air and water pollution at my university. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed learning and then teaching it because teaching is ultimately learning. I thought to myself after that gig was done as to how can I expand and scale environmental education and YouTube turned out to be an answer to that. And the entire goal of the YouTube channel is to focus on different themes under climate change. I try my best to create short, concise videos focusing on a topic. I'm a big believer in local climate action or local environmental action in general because environmental issues can be local or global. But people are confined to their place they live for the most part. Right. And the power lies in people acting locally, but that local actions being on a global scale. Mm. Oh, man. 
That's awesome. And and I love that you focused on on meeting people where they are because I, I think that that is uh, desperately needed in in today's, I guess, political and environmental landscape. Okay, so sort of going back to this idea of meeting people where they are, let's say there's people in the South, and I, I know that there are who are you know, vaguely familiar with environmentalism, sustainability, maybe they've seen a Tesla driving and, you know, had some interest in electric vehicles, or I think, like I mentioned earlier, the Green New Deal or similar policies. Do you have any recommendations for first steps on how to think about the problem of climate change? How do we structure this problem in our minds? That's an excellent question. There's this framework that I was introduced to by Will Grant of the Pachamama Alliance, as you may know, that there are four levels of action when it comes to climate change, climate action. The first action or level one action is on an individual basis. So what can people do in their daily lives? An individual action could be composting, it could be recycling, could be eating less meat, having a more plant-based diet, buying an electric car. That's all individual actions which people can do as consumers in a society. And there is some power in that for sure. Mm -hmm. But level one actions, individual actions alone are not going to solve the climate crisis we're in right now. Okay. Level two actions are when these individual actions percolate to the family, to the community, mainly your friends and family Mm -hmm. in in the beginning. Um, So that can have a ripple effect for sure. Like let's say you convince your family to get solar panels for a house or to build a garden, that can be level two action. All right, tell me about uh, level three. Sure, level <laughs> three actions are great. They're, they're, I, in my opinion, even the opinion of Will Grant who articulated this, these are the most important climate actions because level three actions are community actions that extend beyond friends and family. These are actions that you can take in places where you're already a part of. For example, if you work at a school or are a student, um, you're part of that school. So you can think of ways the school itself can enable climate action. If you're an employee at a company, then you can think of ways, how can you as an employee change something in the company that can enable mitigation or adaptation of climate change? If you know uh, people in your city or are, are a call away from the city council or the mayor, how can you meet with the mayor and enable city climate action? These changes can then lead to a domino effect whereby you set good examples where you are, whether in a school, in your company, in your hospital, whatever, it doesn't matter what it is. An example of level three action in Arkansas, there were there was a school which was underpaying teachers, as teachers often are, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Their electricity was coming from a local power grid that was uh, powered by fossil fuels. So they decided to put solar panels on the roof and the side of the school. And over five years, it saved them an order of a million dollars or more. Wow. And using that savings, using that money saved due to solar panels, they increased the salary of the teachers by fifteen dollars to $20,000. Wow. And then other schools in Arkansas wanted to do the same thing because this was so successful, not only um, climate-wise, but economically for the teachers too. This is an example of level three action where you, you change something in an institution on an institution level, community level, city level, and other institutions, other cities can follow that same example. And you start a metaphorical fire of climate solutions that way. Mm, wow. And it's saving people money. 
And it's in the meantime, there, there are economic benefits to climate action in the long term. Absolutely. In the short term, yes, it's an investment. It's an investment. Investments all usually pay off in the long term, not in the short term. Right. And I'm looking right now online. It looks like it's Batesville School District, Batesville okay. High School. Thank you. Yeah. Batesville High School. Shout out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome job, guys. And <laughs> this is something else that's, you know, fairly obvious, but I want to point out. This is Arkansas. This is, this is very conservative yeah. state, yeah. very red state. Exactly. What do you think, or, or do you think there was a key in getting this passed? And obviously we don't know all the details, but do you think there are certain aspects of this action that work in Arkansas, certain talking points, certain ways of thinking about it? Do you think the economic message works more in the South? Any, any thoughts on, on that yeah. type of thing? That's a great point. In the South, there is, compared to the northern United States, especially East Coast, there's some poverty here, and people really do care about economic prosperity for good reason. Right. The economic message of finding economic benefit in whatever solutions are implemented, I think there is power in not focusing too much on climate change as an issue, but rather focusing on the economic benefit of specific climate solutions. Mm. People in the South here care about economics. They care about family, care about traditional values. And as much as we can play to that value for good reason and um, encourage people to follow climate solutions because it aligns with their values. That's awesome, man. Can you talk more about how you have worked to implement this economic message in our own local environment, the city of Huntsville, Alabama? Sure, sure. So for about six months, a group of us environmentalists and um, leaders of different nonprofits here in Alabama were working on drafting a an ordinance to create a commission for incentivizing and encouraging sustainability in Huntsville, and primarily focusing on environmental sustainability under different themes, because uh, the city of Huntsville does not have any commission or any city department specifically focusing on um, different themes of environmental sustainability right so uh, we met the mayor earlier this year actually and focused on the messaging of the fact that Huntsville is a fast-growing city the fastest growing city in Alabama Mm -hmm. now the largest city in Alabama and attracting a lot of new companies a lot of young talent in our Mm -hmm. conversation with the mayor we we focused a lot on the economic benefits of sustainability you know switching incandescent bulbs to LED lights, for example. Right. Making buildings more energy efficient, increasing green spaces because green spaces reduce temperatures locally, reduce the urban heat island effect. So green spaces will reduce temperatures, reducing the cost of air conditioning, even mental health benefits to that. So mm. so we did focus on economic messaging and ultimately the mayor was on board and he created an initial uh, standing commission to review where Huntsville is at and under different themes such as public transportation, food sustainability, land conservation, and so forth. So that's in progress now. And next year, we're going to push for a formal department or commission, whatever happens, for sustainability within the city of Huntsville. So yeah, economic messaging can work. Like I said, in the South, sometimes it helps not to focus too much on climate change and rather focus on the benefits of the climate solutions that you're trying to implement locally. Mm. Right. Absolutely. That's excellent. And um, I'm really excited to see what this commission effort goes into. And I think Huntsville has a lot of potential as a mid-sized, fairly politically moderate city with about 
like 220,000 people, do you think the same formula that you have worked in with the mayor can be applied to some of these smaller, more rural towns and cities? Yes, the same formula can work. The difference would be studying the trends of those rural cities because Huntsville is fast growing, attracting young people, attracting uh, many, many companies. That may not be the case for other small rural cities, but they may have their own unique identity, own unique trends that will help inform the messaging itself. There is benefit to thinking about how rural areas can be part of climate solutions. And one way is um, enabling regenerative agriculture, for example, mm-hmm. in rural areas because they are food producing areas. And yes. how can we enable a uh, shift to where agriculture in those areas does not increase uh, methane emissions due to cows being fed green? Or how can you think of ways to regenerate landscapes? Rural areas have a lot of potential, especially in the sectors of agriculture, Mm -hmm. somewhat transportation, and also self-sufficient housing. Thinking of ways of how rural area housing, which which has a lot of land per house, how can they be self-sufficient given that they have enough land to do so? Right. That's awesome. I did want to talk briefly about level four climate actions. Please, absolutely. (laughs) So level four climate actions, um, which is the last stage of climate actions, are essentially actions such as signing a petition for government action, calling your senators, Mm -hmm. writing a letter to your congressman or Mm -hmm. congresswoman. These are actions in which you as a citizen act to effectively change political decisions, and they can have strong benefits for sure. But ultimately, the money that they give towards climate action are trickled down to states and then states to cities. So ultimately, the action is implemented on a local level, even if it's federally implemented, Mm -hmm. federally funded. One of my favorite resources to understand uh, local climate actions and solutions on a broad scale is this website called regeneration.org, based off the book Project Regeneration. Mm -hmm. And it is an extension of another project called Project Drawdown. Oh, yeah, I'm familiar. Which is a list of 100 solutions ranked by how much emissions they can reduce and how much investment it takes. Mm -hmm. But project regeneration goes even further than drawdown because it focuses on these four levels of actions. It has it on its website, a nexus. There's a list, a framework on the website for individual actions that people can take, the specific recommendations for company actions, actions that groups can take or nonprofits can take. Mm -hmm. And then there are even emails and phone numbers and contacts of key players within the sectors of, say, the paper industry or palm oil industry or uh, toilet paper manufacturers, which are contributing to the problem. So um, that is my favorite website for climate action, regeneration.org. Please check it out. It's it's one of the best in the game. Oh, man, that's awesome. I will, and I hope the listeners will as well. Going back to, to level four action, yes. included in this might be the... Inflation Reduction Act could be the Green New Deal, especially has gotten a lot of uh, media coverage and attention. But I'm also hearing you say that level three is the most important. Do you feel that level three action is not talked about enough? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Great question. (laughs) Because a lot of, uh, uh, you know, environmentalists and people in the environmental movement even myself, I used to be like this, uh, focused a lot on level one individual action mm. and level four, sign this petition, call your senators, call right. your congress people. 
And um, that takes away from systemic actions we can be a part of and help implement locally. Right. So level three actions are these actions that will ultimately lead to systemic change. Yeah, and, and sort of going along with this, I, I presume that city level action would also be considered level three. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So in addition with company action, institutional actions, schools, universities, people should also be, I assume, engaging with their local representatives, council people, county commissioners. What is the first step that you recommend uh, to somebody who wants to get into contact with their local government or try to set up a department within their city government? Yeah, great, great question. The very first step would be find at least three to five like-minded people who want to accompany you and, and become a team because climate action is much more difficult to do if you're just a lone wolf, if you're a lone player. Mm. But having a team, uh, having a group of people has tremendously helped, even even myself. I wouldn't be able to do the things that I'm mentioning alone um, had it not been for many people who have supported these goals. Right. So find a team, that's the first step. But the second step to get in touch with the local representatives is go to a city council meeting in your area because city council meetings are open to the public. Anyone can attend and it's on the website of the city. It has to be. And um, so they have to be transparent in, in, in when they meet and where they meet. The second thing is that you can speak for three to five minutes, depends on the city, but you can speak for a short amount of time uh, if you sign up beforehand at the city council. So you can talk about what you care about and they have to listen because they're funded by the public. They're funded by you. Right. You pay the taxes and that's how they earn their salaries. So they have to listen to uh, city residents. So so go to a city council meeting. If you're uncomfortable with speaking, at least just observe how it works and talk to some of the city council people after the meeting. Introduce yourself, talk about building a sustainability commission or, or whatever issue you care about in the city. And... Um, set up meetings. They meet with city residents because that is part of their job. They cannot deny you, but they can delay. <laughs> so uh, set up e uh, set up a meeting, get their contact, uh, get their phone number if you can. You can interact with them. And the best place to start is the city council meetings. Okay. That's great. And, and we mentioned the word sustainability commission again. Can you define commission for people out there who may not know what that is? Yeah. Great point. A commission is a group of people who are generally volunteers and experts from the city on that topic. For example, if there's a bike commission, these will be people who are interested in biking, making bi uh, biking safe lanes in the city, who work with the planning department or work with people in, within the city department who implement whatever issue that you're concerned with. So it's a group of people who meet usually once a month, maybe twice a month, but usually once a month mm -hmm. for a set period of time, an hour or two and discuss and figure out ways to implement what they care about. Right, okay, awesome, That that's great. Oh man, there are a, a lot of moving pieces here. Do you feel pressure? Sometimes, yeah, but um, for me, challenges have always been fun. Love that, yeah. I, um, at the end of the day, you need to realize the why behind your actions. Well, mm. Why are you doing this? And if that why is in the back of your mind at all times, no matter how hard it gets, you try to persist. And yes, it's it's taken a while to get this set up, uh, sustainably commissioned set up in Huntsville. Uh, it's been two years in the making because the first time we tried with the city council, 
it didn't go through. Mm -hmm. um, there weren't enough uh, voting members. But now the mayor himself has agreed, and uh, you know that's a big win. Climate work is hard. Uh, yes, there's pressure. There's some stress. Um, there are some emotions involved as well. Right. Like you see the news, and you know you see floods in Pakistan, hurricane in Puerto Rico. All, all these things are happening. Yes, but it shouldn't discourage you from pursuing local climate action where you are because the work you're doing matters. And um, know that you are part of a generation that's facing the worst of climate change but it doesn't mean we shouldn't prepare for it and try to avoid uh, the worst effects as much as we can right right that's very important and i'm thank you for reminding me that the the commission effort failed the first time because yeah. that persistence is absolutely a, a very important part for people to know for myself to know um and i i admire that persistence and you were actually the first person in huntsville you know throughout my college career who has really dug in their heels to a lot of this work and you know that's why i wanted to talk with you because you're awesome oh, thank you man <laughs> you're awesome you too you, <laughs> I, I love that you're doing this podcast and focusing on the south because um yeah it's, it's gonna be massive i think right. you're doing great work you're a great moderator great host and uh yeah thank you so much for having me here yeah absolutely so as we really as a country but regionally as we you and i others with a similar mindset or who are learning are seeking a greener south do you have any imparting words of wisdom for people who are just getting started sure first of all i would say learn as much as you can about your uh, about climate change as a global issue but also your local place what are the issues, environmental, social, or climate-related issues in your locality? Learn as much as you can about them and learn as much as you can about the solutions to them. Mm. And that's a journey that you have to take. Uh, secondly, find community. There are so many groups such as Citizens Climate Lobby, um, some as some parts of the Sunrise Movement, um, other, other non-profits like the Sierra Club, and uh, so many other environmental non-profits that you can be a part of. Um, uh, do do something because there are many people trying to fight the good fight just join them and find your find your gang find your team right <laughs> find like-minded people because that will help you uh, implement solutions much much more effectively than you doing it yourself um so yeah learn as much as you can find like-minded people uh build your team you can go to city council meetings you can you can uh, even do work in in your community in your neighborhood company, school, whatever you're part of, figure out what roles you're playing in your daily lives and try to think about where you can inject climate solutions in, in whichever role you feel comfortable with. Just don't be overwhelmed. Don't be discouraged. It's, it's hard, but persistence and, and keeping in mind the why behind this it is going to help you. At the end of the day, um, you don't want to be answering a child 40 years from now if they ask you what did you do to help stop or help mitigate climate change you want to say that at least you tried at least you did something or maybe uh, things are a little better then because of the work you've done so keeping the why in mind will help you persist it's hard but it uh, community and and finding your tribe makes it much easier mm, that's excellent starting where you are it's a big problem but Look around, 
Yeah. Look in your backyard. Look in your backyard. That's where it starts. Yes. Awesome. Ankur Shaw, thank you so much for thank your time you. today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. <laughs> You've been listening to Seeking a Green South. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a rating and subscribe to keep up with future conversations. Thanks for listening.